The relationship between a husband and wife is one of the most important relationships in the world. It is so important that the Apostle Peter, in writing on this very thing in 1 Peter 3, verse 7, he describes us as being heirs together of the grace of life. What a beautiful description that is. Joint heirs. Mutually blessed. Sharing together in one of God's greatest blessings in this holy partnership, the grace of life. Grace is a gift of God. Let us not forget that every gift is from Him. And marriage is one of His choicest gifts. We hear all kinds of things today about marriage. Recently, the Supreme Court of our United States has done the unprecedented thing, something that has not been done since the Garden of Eden, and has taken it upon themselves to redefine or attempt by human means to redefine what marriage is. Not only has that not changed just because of a court ruling, although the carrying out, the living out of it will undoubtedly affect us in, in ways yet uneven thought of, it has, not only has the definition of marriage drastically changed, the sacredness of the institution itself has fallen upon an unprecedented low. A recent report by findthedata.org reveals that Alabama has the second highest divorce rate in the country. Did you know that? In this small state of some 9 million people, the second highest divorce rate in the nation, coming in at 13 divorces for every 1,000 people. We fall just behind Alaska, which has a rate of 14 divorces for 1,000 people. One or two things, Alabama is leading the way. The data was gleaned from information received from the American Bar Association, the Centers for Disease Control, and the 2011 Census Bureau. Some predict that nationwide the divorce rate is at about 42%. There are many reasons for this, and the Bible tells us what they are. We're not in darkness about it. We see these things happening around us. But the Apostle Paul so aptly described the reasons in, uh, in the 1 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous, dangerous times shall come. Would you not say that these dangerous times are upon us? For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Quite the opposite of what the Bible tells us in the portion of Scripture that we're considering that men should love their wives as their own selves, but lovers of their own selves, covetous, that particularly means loving money, boasters, proud, which means arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, and literally there in the Greek, it means without natural affection for one's own family. Truce breakers are those who are irreconcilable. They will not be reconciled. They will not listen to reason. They will not hear mediation. They will not be reconciled. They will take their slight and carry it to the grave. False accusers, those are malicious gossipers. Incontinent means without self-control. Fierce despisers of those that are good. We hear of people making fun of in the national media, those who would live the way that we're espousing here tonight. 
traitors, those are, that word means uh, uh, treacherous, heady or reckless, high-minded, conceited, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Just go to any golf course or lake on the Lord's Day and you'll find that to be the case. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. He describes that sordid description of the, 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 the times that we live in and we're to reject it. We're to turn away from it. And how do we do that? How do you reject society's forcing and its opinions upon you by living out the truth, by doing exactly what we're studying here in the Scriptures? For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins. I used to wonder about that verse. Could there be a more strange verse in the Scripture? But we know through technology and the computers that, that men are creeping into houses and are leading women captive. And we hear all kinds of things that we did not even think possible years ago by technology and relationships being established thousands of miles away by technology. And we've, we've heard all of that. And I'm not at any here to, to bring out the sordidness of it, but the, the Ashley Madison and all of that. A thing that, and again, Alabama led the way on that list, I'm told. The number one uh, group that were participating in that adultery website were Alabamians. It's inconceivable, isn't it? Led away with divers' lust, ever learning. Is that not our day? Learning, learning, learn, information overload, ever learning. People have opinions about everything and will give them to you tweet it to you, blog it to you, tell you about it at a drop of a hat, ever learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Well, that's the reason why we see things as they are, but it does not change the, the command to us as believers to live out our faith in a different way. All these things are eroding and undermining the family today. These problems originated, do you know when they started? Just after the fall of man in the garden. But there is a, a ramped up onslaught from hell in these latter days. The scripture talks about latter days. And there are specific times as we chart it through biblical history of a ramped up sordidness, a ramped up almost demonic activity on earth. At the, the time of the flood, where there, we read all kinds of descriptions about the demonic activity on the earth at the time of the flood. The time of our Lord's earthly ministry, we read increased fervor of demonic work upon the earth. When the Savior came into the world, again, Satan was trying to thwart. At the time of the flood, he was trying to end the human race so that a Savior could not come. At the time of our Lord's ministry on the earth, he was trying to thwart and uh, make him where he would not be able to be the Savior. He tried to kill him. He tried to do everything he could. And then there will be increased uh, time of, of this kind of activity just at the, the, before the return of the Lord to the earth. So we know that the scripture tells us exactly that this will be the, the problem. This ramped up onslaught from hell against all that is moral and good and holy. Plus technology. The reason some, some will argue well, it's no worse than it was in the first century or at the time of the flood. 
the, the sins that we that these sins have always been among us, but never it is unprecedented precedented at the availability of sin and at the rapidity of how it spreads and how accessible it is and how ramped up it is at a fervor, at a pitch, at an availability never afforded to any other generation as it is to this generation now. Technology and entertainment allows for, for new ways of sinning to be readily at hand and easier to be accommodated than any other time in history. I, I, I grieve when I, when I see parents give a child an iPhone for their very own their own personal use, you're virtually giving them a pornography store at their, at their fingertips. And plus access and to ready and willing perverts all over the world who will try to get to them. It's unbelievable what parents are allowing and justifying today. I remember in the rearing of our children when the computer computers came and we got one. We put it in the middle of the largest room of the house where everybody could see what everybody else was doing. We never would think of a, a child having a television in their room. And now people have a personal television to anything they want to see that can access to anything on earth at any moment. As we've seen, God first created the man and was he was ordained and given headship by God over the creation and over the helpmate that was given to him, his wife. There was no sin in that first wedding and the celebration of it and the, the time. We do not know the time that passed from the pronouncing of the, the, the marriage until the fall. We would surmise there was some time of living in that interval, though the, the space in the scripture gives it to us one event after another. There's no reason to think that immediately after Eve was given to Adam and they were pronounced husband and wife, that immediately, although I'm sure it wasn't too long a time because Satan never remains idle, does he? He never takes a vacation. He never stops his, uh, his agenda. But I'm sure that they enjoyed a time of fellowship with one another and with the Lord. The Bible tells us the custom of the Lord meeting with them in the cool of the day. And there were some uh, habits formed in the, the living of their lives. They were given dominion, a job description to oversee the garden, that beautiful garden that they were given to live in. They lived as a unit, uh, mutually sharing, mutually serving, worshiping, fellowshipping as one and working together, tending the garden. And, and God gave marriage and all of its privileges for enjoyment and for the producing and rearing of children to help with his mandate to fill the earth. I've always laughed at the population control people. God said to fill the earth, and he knows exactly how much many people he wants on the earth and to, to what capacity. But you see, Satan's philosophies and theories continually come about to thwart the plan of God. If God made an earth and all of its resources, we should never fear of having too many people on it. Uh, you know, God knows exactly what he's doing. And he, that mandate has not been rescinded. To be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth is his mandate and to subdue it. The fall messed everything up. Uh, Eve sinned and having been deceived and Adam sinned by giving in to her leadership. You see that the first problem in marriage was, was man 
falling down on the job, if you will, and giving up his place of leadership to his wife and not fulfilling his God-given role of leading his wife in right paths. Uh, Adam should have intervened. Uh, He had the Lord on his side. He had been instructed. He knew he was to be the head. And uh, he did not. He, He willingly... She was deceived. He was not. And he receives the greater condemnation... And when we read through the scriptures, the fall of man is always put on the man's account because he abdicated his place of leadership and authority. It is Adam's fall, not Eve's fall. Although she was deceived, Adam was not. Pain in childbirth, difficulty in earning a living, conflict of wills that every marriage has to negotiate every single day, all day long. My wife tells me when we get into it every once in a while, well, you knew I had opinions when you married me, and I, I still have opinions, and if anything, they've grown stronger. And so we have two sinners saved by the grace of God trying to obey the Scriptures and live out the command of God to us. It's, it's not an easy thing, is it? Not, not one person would say it is easy. Nothing about the Christian life is easy. We are to exercise ourselves into godliness. We are to to die to flesh. We are to say no to the flesh and to Satan. And so this conflict of wills is all a result of sin. The result down to our day has been a belittling of women as objects. See where this rejecting of God's order and his submission, the woman submitting to her husband, what has has it gotten us? We see such a perversion of all of that. Women as objects and men failing to understand their role and often men misusing uh, this, even in, in, under the guise of Christianity and in, in a way that, that the Scripture does not teach, enforcing the matter with women. Today the whole affair is a battle of wills, deceiving the other, placating one another, No wonder many, many marriages fail in those horrible statistics that we looked at at the beginning. Satan's goal is to end the family unit. Uh, He absolutely wants there not to be a mother, father raising children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord to destroy all of that and uh, just to be something other than, than we could even imagine on earth. And that is his goal. Uh, to reverse or obliterate the roles. Today, purity and and faithfulness and obedient children, loving families, are made fun of in the media. We only saw that in the recent horrible situations with the the family, the large family on television. And and when the the unfortunate uh, things came out, the, the media just made a heyday of how warped all that was and how fake they were. And in every sitcom, it goes, this goes back years of making fun of the traditional roles of mothers and fathers and children in the family, all made look, looked at as it's unreal or undesirable. All around every godly marriage and Christian home, the host of hell and society at large is sneering and laughing and taking pot shots at it. Not even believers' marriages have any better promise of surviving than the lost around them unless, unless we submit to God's plan, to the will of God revealed in the word of God and calling on him to help us 
day by day and dying to ourselves moment by moment. There is the false standard or picture that Hollywood puts forth. And when a couple's marriage doesn't measure up to that romantic comedy that they saw or that that movie that they went to see, and the the fireworks and the emotional highs that uh, were were portrayed in the romance movies, then often couples begin to think they're missing out. And their their husband or wife doesn't act or look like George Clooney or Cindy Crawford, and the dissatisfaction level rises. What a cruel thing to do. What an unreal thing to do to compare your wife, a real human being, to an airbrushed, surgically altered figment of someone's imagination. What a travesty. How unfair. How sinful. Some people marry for the wrong reasons, even those who profess to know the Lord Jesus Christ. When I counsel young couples, I always ask them, why are you, why are you here? They always have a weird look on their face. We love each other. That's why we're here. That's not good enough. What is love anyway? And I often try to tell them to describe, to define to me what love is. And I give it. I mean, we work through this thing. Some people marriage for the wrong reasons. Not that it is God's perfect will for their life. Uh, to, to serve him in a, in a holy partnership of his devising. But some people marry out of lust. They marry out of looks. Or they marry for companionship, or security, or money, or comfort, or for children, just to have children because someone will love and take care of me, or for excitement and thrills, or for how that person makes them feel on dates, never thinking that the date is going to end one day, and that the the, the real life and taxes and, and bad moods and a host of other things are going to set in. The key to this whole chapter, I want you to look in chapter 5, is in verse 18. Be not drunk or controlled with wine or any other uh, wine is used here, any, any intoxicating thing. Don't let anything control you but the Lord. Don't let anger control you. Don't let uh, lust control you. Don't let some uh, ingredient control you. Wherein is excess. The excess is not acting as you should. If you're drunk with wine, for example, speech is not what it should be. Actions are not what they should be. The, the believer is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. And that's why he tells us, don't be controlled with anything where there is excess, but be controlled by the word filled. Literally means controlled by the Holy Spirit. That is the key to the whole chapter. That is the key to all the passages about men's roles and women's roles and children's roles. We, the unseen guest at every table in your argument, in your marriage, in your home, the unseen guest is the Holy Spirit. He is to lead. He is to guide. He is to control all things. The Spirit-filled life is the Spirit-controlled life which is obeying the Word of God. Not because you feel like it, not because it's a warm and fuzzy thing to do, it's because He said it, period. These are how families are to be organized. This is how the Lord's work is to be done. This is what your marriage should look like. We don't go to Hollywood or Dr. Phil or Oprah or anyone else to get our mandate of how to live out these things. We go to the Word of God. Yes, God has ordained the headship, the leadership, 
the shepherding of the husband over the wife. We see that described in verses 22 through 24. Wives submitting yourselves into your own husbands as into the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. And let me just back up in verse 22. This submission of wives are to their husbands. Some men have the idea that every woman is to do what they tell them to do. The scripture here, of course, is speaking of homes and marriages. Wives, submit yourselves into your own husbands as into the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let every let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. But the rest of the chapter focuses on the, the husband submitting as well. And this is the point that many Bible teachers and a lot of men miss. The submission of the man to his wife by loving her in an undying, sacrificial way. That is an act of submission. No less than when our Savior submitted to the plan of the Godhead and took on the form of a servant and pledged himself to die for our sin. What a submission that is. It is a submission of love. And men, this is what our love is to look like. This love is not primarily erotic or emotional, but sacrificial. It is a fierce, passionate giving of oneself displayed by our Lord at Calvary. Men, we are given a very clear picture here, aren't we? I think it's because we have thicker skulls than women do. That the Lord says, do you want to know what that love... He didn't just say, love your wives in a sacrificial way. He made it so obvious that even we can understand it, men. Love your wives how? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. To be sure, we as sinful men and women do not have the, the capacity to exhibit an absolute, pure unselfish love like our Lord lavished on us. And this is where the rub comes in because we do have our own wills that have to be put on the altar every day. We have been a part of the fall, but because we have been regenerated by His Spirit, because we have experienced the new birth, and because the Holy Spirit lives within us, we can obey what the Word teaches us here. This is not undoable. It is not out there somewhere for just really good spiritual people. This is the pattern for every husband, every wife, those who name the name of Christ. This is what it should look like. If I'm submitting to the Lord in every area of life, I will find it much easier to love Kathy as I'm instructed to here. But if I'm not submitting to the Lord in some other area of life, this, this relationship will always get in the way. There will always be problems here if I'm not submitting to the Lord in every other area of life. Remember the pattern, men. Remember what it looks like. It looks like a cross. It is sacrifice. And I want us to notice four things here about the love that our love should be toward our wives. First of all, it is a giving love, as we've just mentioned there in verse 25. Love your wives even to the degree... Just like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, I've often heard men say, I'd fight a circle saw for my wife. There's, I'd take a bullet for her. I've heard all kinds of you know, dramatic things from big talking men of what they would do. But most of the time, that opportunity will not afford itself to you. 
but you may have to, to carry out the garbage every once in a while or something like that. This, this sacrificial love that we exemplify putting ourselves and our own desires on hold to, to show our love to that other person. Sacrifice, sacrificial love gives not a lot of stuff. It gives everything. Notice here the sacrifice. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice would be put on the altar. But did you realize, do you remember that the altar had horns on it? At each corner of the altar, the sacrificial altar, there were horns. The, the, the sacrifice then would be tied to the, the altar, physically tied. And then when the priest would do all that the scripture told, it would be totally obliterated, absolutely burned totally to ashes. We do not deserve the lavish, gracious love that was poured out upon us by our Savior. We, we had the privilege of reminding ourselves of it this morning. What a sweet time that was around the table of our Lord. We cannot, as believers, partake of that memorial meal without feeling unworthy, can we? We cannot sing those songs of Calvary and of dedication without sensing how, how unworthy we are to have a Savior and to be made wise into salvation and that He didn't just die, but that He especially wooed us to Himself by the magnetic pull of His Spirit and did that miraculous work of conversion in our hearts. And when we realize the truths of election and the truths of the, the great redeeming love of our Savior, we have to ask the question, why, Lord? Why me? We're not worthy of this love, this affection, this, this electing love. No one deserves to be saved. Not one person deserves to be saved. To be cleared from all blame. Why should you have your, your past erased? You're guilty. You did it. But in justification, we're cleared of all blame. The record is absolutely cleared. And judicially, we're given the record of Jesus Christ. With a long list of our sordid sins and crimes could be listed. They are stamped in the blood of Jesus Christ, justified, cleared from all blame. Who could raise their unworthy head in this congregation tonight and say, I deserve that kind of love displayed and lavished on me? No, not one has to be the resounding thing. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus, no, not one. And we could reverse that and say there's not one of us who deserves that kind of love. Husbands, it's not a matter of your wife deserving it. This is what the Lord said your love should look like on a daily basis. Calvary love. Secondly, not only is it a sacrificial love, but this love is a cleansing love. Look in verse 26. That he might, our Lord loved the church that he might sanctify. Well, he needed to be saved and set apart. And, and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I remember as a little boy 
there was a, many years that my mother did not have a, a, a dryer. We had a washing machine, praise the Lord, but not a dryer. And uh, that wouldn't have been so bad, even though there were five children and, and you know, a lot of, but my mother had a beauty shop on top of all that. A lot of white towels that had to be washed and hung every day and then and sterilized and all that. But I always think of that, that um, clothesline in the backyard. Now, we use the clothesline for all manner of things other than what it was designed to be used for. And uh, I can just think of all the different things we used, that, that old, uh, those metal poles and the metal wires that went across, all kinds of things we did. That we hung on those, and I'm not going to go into all the details there, but I can still see the, the, the clothes there. One of my jobs as a little boy was to go to gather up all, all those clothes. I, this verse always makes me think of especially the linen hanging on. And when you go through our neighborhood, we weren't the only ones that didn't have a dryer. Everybody on 40th Street in Tuscaloosa that I knew of didn't have one either. And on washing day, you could see in all the backyards the, 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 the linen hanging there. And I think of that without a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, washed in Jesus' blood. It is a cleansing love. Husbands, do you know that while you will not have to answer at the judgment seat of Christ for your wife's actions, you will have to answer for how you loved her and for the environment you provided for her growth and and grace and holiness. And you're to live in such a way, both of us, husbands and wives, that our mate will be able to give a good account at the, at the day of judgment because we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Would you keep that ever as your goal that as I go about the daily business of working out my marriage with my, my precious wife of 35 going on 36 years now, that one day she will have to give an account and I ought to encourage her daily and make a, a, an environment where it is easy for her to grow in grace, easy for her, as easy as possible for sinners, to submit to the Lord and realize that that goal is before us, the judgment seat of Christ. The word sanctify means to set apart exclusively, perfecting. This is a cleansing love. Thirdly, it is a pure and selfish love. We see there in verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Because, you know why? Because we're one flesh. There's a mystery, a miraculous thing that takes place when God puts two people together. They are one. They're no longer two, but one flesh. God sees us as a unit. And as I think of godly marriages and, and couples that truly know the Lord, I always think of them together. Though they may have unique personalities in ministries, I think of that godly couple as being one. And that's a scriptural way of looking at it because that's the way God considers us. And so when you hurt your wife with words, not just physically, God forbid, but with words or whatever, you're hurting your own self. And he appeals to who's ever heard of, of, of a man hurting. No man ever hated his own flesh in verse 29, but nourishes it and cherishes it and pampers it. You could say, man, this is a pampering love. My wife has a sign. I think I've told you about it. I see it every day in our kitchen near the coffee machines. She knows I'll see it there. 
And we found it in England. And it says this. All that I ask is that you treat me no different than you would the king, queen. <laughs> and uh, on our last trip there, she has a picture of Queen Elizabeth attached to that little <laughs> sign there. In case I forgot, there she is in her crown and, and all the rest. This cleansing, we might say pampering love. Does our Lord not do so much for us? Think of the daily benefits of being a child of God. The sweet, precious things our Savior does. Oh, what a Savior He is. How loving, how merciful, how long-suffering. And often we have prayers answered above and beyond what we ask or think. And we say, Lord, I asked for this, and you did so far beyond that. We sang it this morning. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Men, should we not be that kind of husband to our wives? Thirdly, it is a pure, unselfish love. Look in verse 28 as we look there. Loving our wives as our own bodies. And then, fourthly, it is a, a lasting love. In verse 31, for this call shall a man... And here Paul harks back to Genesis. Our Lord goes back. We see this... Very verse reiterated over and over again in the scripture. It is the standard. We started with when we began our study here. The standard of why all this works the way it does is that this call shall a man leave his father and mother. Adam was told to do that when he didn't have one. The standard, the principle was set. God said in that first marriage ceremony, so shall a man leave his father and mother. Though Adam and Eve didn't have a mother and father, they were going to be a mother and a father. They needed to hear this so they wouldn't stick their nose into their children's marriages. This call shall a man leave his father and mother and they shall be joined, he shall be joined, glued to his wife. And they too shall be one flesh And Paul says, admittedly, this is a great mystery, but it's a fact. Just as you were regenerated and born again, it is as literal and real as your first birth. This mystery that takes place in marriage is just as real. This mystery of joining and becoming one flesh. But I speak of Christ and His church. Can you even think of a church without Christ? What would it be? It would be an organization or a religion like so many on the earth. There's no such thing as the church without Christ or Christ without his church. That's why he came. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. And with his blood he bought her and for her life he died. He came seeking us. Now you may know that, just think back. I want to go back to ancient history now. Remember, it's seeking the hand of your wife. I see some smiles. I see some, like, I can't even think about that far back. <laughs> Kathy and I met. Uh, we, we were down the town the other day with, with the, the kids from the school here. And there on the right in front of Battle Auditorium is where we met. Uh, we were seniors in high school. And I've told you all about that. I will not bore you again, but. Then we met again at our freshman year in college. And I began, I mean, immediately seeking her hand. And she would have none of it. <laughs> you know, she, uh, she had different ideas about it. I, it didn't take me long to make up my mind. And I made it up, you know, this is the one for me and all the rest. And uh, so I had to do some tall praying. I learned to pray seeking her hand and, and asking the Lord's will. This, 
this love that he tells us about, this lasting love. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And then it ends, ladies, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. I think I can speak on behalf of these ladies, and that's saying an awful lot, isn't it? But I think that I, it goes without saying that if a man would love his wife as the Lord paints for us here, unselfishly, sacrificially, wooing, pampering, living, giving a good account, praying for her, what kind of woman, how could she not reverence a man like that? It reminds us of Sarah calling Abraham Lord. Now, Abraham was a very ordinary, sinful man. Uh, he was not above, as we looked in his life, mistakes and, and sins even. And yet, he, he, through it all, he loved his wife. And they're, they're given to us as a picture, and she's given to us, especially to you ladies we're going to see, as the model of godly womanhood. Well, may the Lord bless his word and teach it to us, and may we live it out. You'll be given an opportunity on the way home and throughout the week and every day to live out these verses. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace to us, and we thank you for the clear teaching of your word. May we as your people live it out. We pray that our marriages be strong. We pray that, that we as men and, and husbands and wives would live uh, before you in this sacrificial way. Oh, bless us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.